Okay. Morning, everybody. Morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm the pastor here. And um, just a couple things to draw to your attention. One, there's like no major things to tell you about that are coming up today. And I want to take an opportunity, while there's no major things to tell you that are coming up, to tell you, thank you for your presence, for your service, for your stick to over the past month and a half. It has been a full month. We've had so many opportunities where so many of you have served, so many of you have loved, so many of you have showed up uh, time and time and time again for things like the picnic and the Easter egg hunt, bringing a bunch of eggs back. Uh, from showing up on this past Thursday night to set up and break down chairs so we could host Sissy Goff. Um, There's been so much good work that's been going on in this community, and that's because of your input in it. Uh, So just want to take an opportunity to say thank you. Thank you for investing in this community. Uh, This neighborhood and South Nashville looks different because you're here, and that's what we desire to continue to see grow. Uh, Otherwise... We're going to jump in. Only other thing to mention is that on the uh, back side of your chair, if you would like to know um, ways to kind of take one step further into the life and ministry of Midtown Creve Hall, you can hit the QR code. You can sign up for our email list, uh, get more information about small groups and those kind of things, and that can direct you to anything you may need to know. Uh, and that can also get you in touch with uh, someone on our staff or an elder if you need to talk or pray or anything like that. But with all that said, um, let's jump in. This one, uh, this one is a doozy. This is we're starting to speed up a little bit in Genesis here. Thankfully, we've been walking really slow through Genesis one, two, three. Took a little hiatus for a couple of weeks there at Easter, but we're going to start to pick up some speed now. Today we're hitting like three chapters, and it's this giant story of Noah. And there's so many things that we could say about this story. But here's what it made me think of. When uh, a couple of years ago, some friends uh, were hiking. Some, I was one of these people. It was us and one other family. We went camping uh, up in the Smokies. And we went hiking at Clingman's Dome. Anybody ever been to Clingman's Dome? Yeah. It's the, it's the highest spot in the Smokies. 6,000 feet above sea level. Beautiful, amazing vistas, at least most of the time. Uh, before we left this day, we were camping um, many thousand feet below that elevation. And it's like 80 degrees. It's sunny outside. The birds are chirping. There's not a cloud in the sky. And the friend of mine who's always more... Uh, prepared than I am at all of these things, says, hey, just want to remind everybody, be prepared. Because where we're going, you never know where the weather's going to go, what it's going to do, how it may change. So just go dressed and prepared. And I don't really see myself as a prepared person most of the time. So my, my children just attested to that. And, uh, and so I was just like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's beautiful. It's 80. I'm kind of sweating right now. I don't really want to bring, you know, stuff on a hike. that's going to make me more sweaty. So we'll just deal with it. As we're driving up to Clingman's Dome, there's this kind of windy mountain road that we're going up. And you can feel the air getting thinner as we climb up to the top. You can see the clouds and the fog begin 
to roll in. By the time we get up to the top and get out, you can barely see the person next to you because the fog is so thick and the clouds have rolled in. We got into the car and it was somewhere around 80. We get out of the car and it's somewhere in the mid 40s. And it, we get in the car and there's birds chirping and sun shining. We get out of the car and you can barely see your hand <clears throat> in front of your face. We decide to go ahead and take the hike. We're kind of on this mountain edge with kind of a single track uh, where there's just enough uh, space for someone to pass by on your left or your right, and that's it. And then we start to feel this whole host of people begin to come back the other direction, and they look sort of moist. (laughs) And we realize what's happening is there's a rainstorm out there that is coming our direction, and everyone is starting to huff it back to the car, and folks like me may have been unprepared for said situation. The moral of this story is always listen to Dustin. (laughs) Dustin is my friend. Noah would have listened to Dustin. Noah was prepared, even though at the time he seemed nuts. He was ready because he had been listening for what was about to happen. And he was prepared even when it seemed like he didn't need to be. He's kind of like the first doomsday prepper. Except he actually was prepared for an actual accurate doomsday. Because he looked crazy along the way. He had to have. But he listened to God and he walked by faith. And the fun thing is, so that we don't have to guess how we might apply this, this story of Noah pops up all the time. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. The writer of Hebrews, whoever that was, talks about it and applies it to us today. So we don't have to sit on this side of all of this history and go, I wonder how we might respond. We are going to get some very direct engagement on how we should respond with this. But before we do that, let's read the story. So we're going to hit a little bit of chapter 6, a little bit of chapter 7, and just one verse in chapter 8 to try to string this story together without being here for 20 minutes, just listening to the story. Donna Garrett. Take it away. I wondered if that was the same weekend that I was cleaning stone. Was there a couple over there, her saying, I don't want to climb this. You're the one that wanted to do it. just gotten engaged and he wanted to celebrate by climbing to cleanman stone. That might have been me. saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and the lord regret and the lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart so the lord said i will blot out man whom i have created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven for i'm sorry that i've made them but noah found favor in the eyes of the lord These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, 
I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds and the animal according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all of the beasts and all of the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Donna. Yeah, there's a lot here. So what might this story have to tell us all these hundreds, thousands of years later, what might God still want to communicate to us today? I think there's a number of things, but the path that we're going to take today is what is a life of faith? What is an active life of following, of walking with God look like? And how, what can we learn from Noah that can teach us about how we might walk with God today? Two things that I see Noah doing in this passage that we're going to try uh, to put our focus on today. The first is he listens actively. There's an active listening, a walking with God to where when God speaks, he knows his voice and he knows enough to trust him, to walk in his way. Active listening and second, foolish obedience. There is a foolishness to what Noah does here. It looks crazy in the eyes of his neighbors. What might that have to teach us about today? So active listening, foolish obedience. Where do I get those two points? Again, like I mentioned, the, there are a number of places in the New Testament that this is spoken about, that these events are spoken about. Here's one. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. Hebrews 11, verse 7, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness. 
that comes by faith. We're going to talk about that air of righteousness thing in a little bit. But notice those two points. Can we bring that back up? Yeah, notice those two points that it says, the writer of Hebrews says, in a nutshell, here's what happened to Noah. He did two things. He was warned by God, so he heard the voice of God and believed it. And in reverent fear, then did something about it. He went and constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He listened, and then he obeyed. Noah listened to God. How do we know that? Well, aside from the, the assumption that the passage gives, there's a specific word that describes what kind of relationship Noah had with God. Look at Genesis 6. Go back to the beginning of that passage, verse 9. It says, Noah walked with God. Based on if you've been with us since the beginning of this series, does that echo anything in your memory banks? Where else do you hear of this word, walked with God? Adam and Eve, in the way that their perfection in their perfect relationship with God in the Garden of Eden was meant to be lived out, was one where there was a walking with God in the cool of the day. And that very same word is brought into the description of how Noah now walks with God. And so it's calling back all of that imagery. There's actually, we're going to talk more about this next week. There's tons of imagery from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, garden imagery, that's being pulled into this passage here. But that one in particular for today, Noah's walking with God. There's a relationship with God. Noah knows that there is a knowable God, Yahweh, who has been passed down through all these generations, who now he is engaging with in real time in living color. And, but notice how he walks with God. There's a reversal of the way Adam and Eve did. When Adam and Eve sinned and shame and guilt came into the world, they begin to hide from him. And somehow there are only a few people since Adam and Eve who have been described as having positive relationships with God. Noah's one of the few. And so there was something about this God that had been passed down since Adam and Eve, generation to generation, that now fueled his relationship with God. What did God tell Noah, though? He told him at least two things. He told him some bad news, and then he told him some good news. And these are also two things that can, as bad and good as they were for Noah, so are they both bad and good for us today. Look at verse 5 of Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so he comes to Noah and he says, Noah, it's not looking good for you, bro. It's not looking good for, this, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your people. This thing has spun out of control. It's been eight generations since Cain and Abel. Eight, it's been about 1,500 years since Dave preached last week. 
Maybe it feels like that long. Maybe you've had that long of a week too. It's been about 1,500 years or eight generations and things have continued to just spin and spiral out of control. That seed of sin that was introduced in the garden has now grown into this fully fledged flower, this tree that has now taken over things. Murder, sexual immorality, greed, an entire world now turned in on itself. Only evil continually. Two words are used to describe what their experience was of life. Corruption and violence are the two words that the passage uses. Now fast forward to your life. Fast forward to our world. Corruption and violence don't feel so different than our world today, do they? You may have heard you could pluck any story from the headlines but one that at least has a little bit of humor in it that I picked. Uh, Did you hear this week that a woman in New York was sentenced to 21 years in jail for poisoning her similar-looking friend with cheesecake? Did you hear this? Here's how it went. She goes to her friend's house to hang out. She brings three pieces of cheesecake. This is like the oldest trick in the book. She has two pieces of cheesecake that are fine. She has a third piece of cheesecake that's laced with a powerful sedative called finazepam. Somebody, where's Lister? Uh, Finazepam, maybe. Uh, She eats two pieces in front of her friend, which that would have been a funny side in and of itself, and then says, here, I got one for you. And then to which her friend says, thank you eats it, starts violently vomiting, passes out in her bed. She's found by a friend unconscious the next day with pills scattered around her, sort of like a a fake suicide attempt. Uh, The woman is whisked away from the hospital. When she comes back to her home, she's realized that her passport has been stolen. This woman was attempting to steal her similar-looking friend's identity so that uh, she could cover up a murder she was already wanted for, that she was trying to change her name so that she could live out her life under a different alias. Only evil continually is not that far-fetched for our world today. Now, here's the thing. It's funny to laugh about poison cheesecake, although it probably wasn't funny to be that lady. But what about you? Like, let's also take a moment to turn this into a mirror instead of a window situation. God's description of only evil continually is a description of people's hearts. He's not even talking about the outward actions, but just like Jesus the fruit is already going on in here, and then it comes out. And if you've got bad fruit in here, it's going to turn out bad out here. And so in the very same way, God is asking you today, look at your own heart. Where do you find only evil continually in your own? Where do you find things like selfishness, pride, greed, Anger, jealousy, coveting, lust, 
hate. If you think about this morning, if you think about your thoughts even since the sermon started, if you think about this weekend or your past week or your past month, where do you see that same dynamic happening in your heart? One of my first uh, preachers that I ever looked up to, Vody Bauckham, used to say, if you can't say amen, you better say ouch. This might be an ouch moment for all of us, myself included. Because when I look back at my previous week and I think about my heart and sort of this vacuum of selfishness that I carry around with me all the time, only evil continually, so much of the time happening inside of me. And the first thing that God is trying to communicate to Noah as he's listening to him is there is a big problem here. And that problem is inside of you and it's inside of everyone else around you. I have to destroy it. I cannot let this continue. Which there's a comfort in that, isn't there? There is a comfort to know that God hates evil. And there is a comfort to know that he is doing something about it. And one day it will be fully eradicated. And he is already now assured that that day in the future is coming. Are you listening to God about the evil that is inside of you and walking with him in such a way that he can gently, lovingly, with kindness, lead you to repentance? Or are you busy and distracted and insulated from the guilt and the shame because it's just too heavy to bear? There's an invitation in this passage to look at yourself because a life of faith is active listening to the Holy Spirit as he pricks your heart as he calls you out, as he convicts you in those moments, as he calls you towards reconciliation, as he calls you towards love, and you realize how far you still have to go, this is the life of faith that Noah's inviting us to. But he's not only told of bad news, he's told of good news. Because God says, good news, I want you to build a boat, like a real big one. I want you to be, it to be big enough for you and your family and two of each animal you can get your hands on. And I want you to stack them all inside this boat. And here's, here's the word that it uses. Did you notice as we read, it says, I will make a covenant with you. Meaning, I promise you this is going to happen. And I promise you, you are going to be safe. Because the good news of this passage is there is a God who makes promises to people who don't deserve it. And the promise that he makes to Noah and the promise that he makes to us is there is a way out of this flood. There is a way out of this storm. There is a way out of this evil inside that you find inside your heart that the more you rip it out, the more it seems to multiply inside you. Now come back to Hebrews 11 again. By this he condemned the world, this is his faith, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This passage is communicating to us, Noah did not get the golden ticket to go on the ark because he was perfect. Noah got the golden ticket to go on the ark because he believed that an ark was necessary. 
And so in the very same way, you and I do not enter into a relationship with God because we are good enough to enter into that relationship. We enter into that relationship because God has already said, I will promise to open my arms wide and allow you to come in. And I'm going to make a way for that to happen. So a life of faith then is not only active listening for the Holy Spirit to prick your heart in repentance, it's also active listening as the Holy Spirit tells you that God saves sinners of which I am the foremost and being bold enough to believe it. This is the kind of listening that God is calling us to in a very ordinary, everyday way to more and more come face to face with all of our great need and to come more face to face with all of Jesus's great provision. This is where an active life of listening begins. Where does it end? It ends in foolish obedience. Because if all of that is true, if there's a God who makes promises to you, promises to never leave you nor forsake you, promises to open his arms, even with all of your evil, and bring you in and cover you with his love, if that's the God that is, then you can live outlandishly for him. You can give everything away and trust that if he's for you, if he's with you, if he'll never leave or forsake, then you are covered. Active listening, foolish obedience. Because there's only one kind of thing that can motivate this kind of foolish obedience. And it's in Genesis 8.1. God remembered Noah. And so God remembers you. In Christ. Now, for Noah to experience that from the Lord, you want me to do what? You want me to build a what? You want me to invite the who? How many animals? You want me to spend that long with my family members? Yes. And then he begins to move in faith. And I wondered this week as I was reading this passage, what was this for? Because what we're about to see after the flood is that there's just as much sin and brokenness and evil in the world as before. Why would God do this cosmic thing, wiping out all of humanity in this moment? Why would he do that if he knew that everything was just going to go back to the way it was before? Like so many things in the Old Testament, there is a pointing forward. There is a, an underlying theme that all of these Old Testament stories echo. An underlying broader narrative that everything is pointing towards. And it is pointing in this moment about another one who would be covered in God's righteous, or sorry, covered in God's wrath. Though in this case, the righteous would die not live. This is pointing forward to a day when the full wrath of God would come down on one person, the only righteous person who has ever walked the face of the earth, fully righteous in his own accord, not because he got it from someone else. And this man, Jesus, all of the wrath of God falls on him. The flood of God's wrath falls on his shoulders and he is swept away by it. That's what this flood is pointing to. But it is not pointing to a group of people who were so obedient that they trusted God and got on the boat. And that's the news to you today. Be obedient and you'll get on the boat. No way. This is saying Jesus is the ark. Trust in him by faith and get in. 
Because there is a flood of God's wrath coming and there is beauty and glory to be had in the safety of Jesus. And so as you look at yourself and see all of that mess inside and as you look at this world and see all of the mess out there, there's only one thing that can allow us to continue to walk forward and that is his faithfulness. His promise that he will accept each one of us by faith in him. Because in the same way that Abraham trusted God and it was counted to him as righteousness, in the same way King David screwed up time after time after time and yet God still called him a man after his own heart, in the same way Peter as one who denied Jesus to his face now is accepted and called and reconciled back into his life in the same way that Paul was a murderer of Jews and is now this beautiful saint in Christ. So all of us are welcomed in that same way, not because you've done it in yourself, but because you've been accepted through the free gift of Jesus and his righteousness covering you when the storm of God's wrath falls. That kind of reality, if that's actually true, that can motivate a crazy kind of obedience. So it's kind of like this. What if we built a boat? If you have ever been, if you're here at the Easter egg hunt, walked out those back doors, we, we mapped it out on Google Maps this week. This arc would have stretched all the way from the back parking lot over here at the school all the way across the green field to Crevewood Baptist. And it would span all the way from the tree line down here all the way up to the pavilion, if not a little bit further. And it would be five stories tall. What if all of us got a hammer and a nail and a piece of wood and we walked out back and started building a boat? What would Creve Hall think about us? Would the school appreciate, they'd probably be like, get off my lawn. What would the neighborhood think? You guys are such weirdos. This is so bizarre. What in the world are you doing? Do you realize that life in the church is building a boat? Life in the church is living contrary to the ways of the world so that others might look in and go, that seems so weird. There must be something behind that. Because every time we talk to someone who we can't see, who we trust to provide for us, we're building this boat. Every time we show up in this room and study a book that's millennia old, that's so weird. We're building this boat. Every time we confess to one another and are honest about our deepest places of brokenness and weakness and need, we are building a boat. Every time we give our money and our time and our best abilities to people that we only peripherally know sometimes, we're building a boat. Every time we forgive someone who has hurt us deeply, we build a boat. Every time we're honest about what's actually going inside of us to another human being, we build a boat. Every time we believe and wake up every morning believing that there is life after this and that this is not where we have to get every bit of satisfaction now, but there is every bit of satisfaction coming and there is every bit of satisfaction now in Jesus. We're building a boat. You can build a boat in your workplace. You can build a boat at your house. And we collectively are building a boat in our community. 
and saying, do you see that there is something so much bigger at play here? Do you see that there is a cosmic reality happening here? That there is a God who loves and promises and covenants with his people to open his arms to those who don't deserve it and shelter them. Would you come in? That's what we're doing as a church. That's what we're doing in our communities. Two questions then to close. How are you or are you actively listening to God right now? And again, you don't have to look to some mystical experience to do this. God has communicated everything you need to know here. Two, what foolish obedience might he be calling you to right now? And again, it doesn't have to be crazy things like building a boat back there. But the very ordinary ways that we live the life of Christ laying down our life for the sake of someone else. These are foolishness to the world. But in the very same way that that is true of the way of the cross, everybody looked at Jesus and looked at the cross and thought, that's totally weird and will never work. He says he's God and he just died. That don't make sense. So as we live this foolish life of the way of the cross, so would many be drawn in to see the glory of Jesus. So one guy I thought of, who lived so much of the way that uh, I feel like this passage is calling us to live is a guy named George Mueller. He was a pastor in the mid-1800s, most famous for building an orphanage, but his legacy is this life of faith. He felt uh, he was converted a little bit later on, converted in college, and felt immediately called to be a missionary to England. He grew up in Germany. And so he goes back to school to train to be a pastor. He has no money. He's not sure how he's going to do it. He uh, then, after he gets through school, the Lord provides. He gets sent to this church in England. The church has this whole setup where the rich people sit in the front and the poor people sit in the back because the rich people have paid for their seats. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, He says, I'm not going to work for you if this continues. And so they disband the thing. They offer to pay him. He says, I don't want you to pay me. God will provide. God provides. He's walking the streets of England, sees all of these orphans that are dirty, that can't take care of, have no one to take care of them. They have no food. And he has this burden to build an orphanage, but he has no money. He begins the process of prayer, uh, not even saying out loud some of the things that he needs, and God would provide and provide and provide. 10,000 children were cared for by this orphanage that he built, Ashley Down Orphanage. And one particular day, there were 300 kids who had no food. They woke up that morning, and he had all of them come sit in the dining hall, and they prayed, and they waited, and they trusted the Lord. And on that day, there was a baker who could not sleep the night before because this orphanage was on his heart and on his mind, and he baked three loaves of bread over the course of that evening and dropped it off that morning just after they had sat down to breakfast. Right after that, a milkman and his cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and the milkman knocked on the door and said, can you do anything with this milk because it's about to spoil? Every moment of this man's life, he would string himself out and look totally foolish, and the Lord would provide. I don't know what that looks like for you, 
I don't know what that looks like moving into this week, but would there be a collective sense of walking forward and trusting the Lord and living a life like a pastor I used to work under uh, that our life is doomed to fail? A life of faith is doomed to fail unless God is in it. We trust him and see him do amazing things in this city. Let's pray. Father, pray. Uh, this is one of those things that <clears throat> is so high and lofty and rah-rah uh, when you say it out loud, but then we go back and we live uh, all of our ordinary lives over again. Uh, and all of these great aspirations can fall by the wayside so quickly. Uh, but I pray that you would capture us in just the very ordinary ways that you meet us. Uh, that just loving someone who's hard to love in our life this week is communicating something that's greater than ourselves. Uh, that just the act of giving away something of ours and trusting that you will still care for us is communicating something greater than us. Wherever you're calling us to listen, wherever you're calling us to walk in obedience, I pray uh, that we most of all collectively would have a sense in this moment that it is your grace and your grace alone that covers us. And that's what gives us the freedom to live a life of abandon because you have so filled and fueled us. So make that more true. Many of us, myself included, don't believe that so much of the time. Fill us with that reality that it would flow out into our lives and into this community. We pray in Christ. Amen.